Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. This is one of the most common reasons people go to the doctor or miss work, and it is a leading cause of disability worldwide. Back pain, tonight on Call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. Hello, I'm Dr. Deb Johnston, Prairie Doc and host of tonight's On Call with the Prairie Doc program. We're celebrating 20 seasons of truthful, tested, and timely medical information. Joining us here in our studio on the South Dakota State University campus in Brookings is Dr. Matthew Wingate of Orthopedic Institute in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Chuck McCullough, Doctor of Physical Therapy with Avera Therapy in Brookings, South Dakota. Welcome, gentlemen. It's so good to have you here. And um, Dr. Wingate, I understand that you actually spent a little time doing this program with Dr. Holm way back in the day. Yes, many years ago, I do recall coming in with Dr. Holm and uh, talking a little bit about medical education. So it's it's yeah. good to be back in the studio. I don't remember a whole lot what we what we did that <laughs> evening, but it's good to be here. I think your first time is always a little uh, little more anxious. Absolutely. And that was a long time ago too. <laughs> so uh, yep. it's it's good to have you back. Thank you. How did you get into orthopedics? Yeah, so um, uh, decided I wanted to get into medical school a little bit later in college, and uh, went through my four years of medical school at the University of South Dakota. And, uh, and knew that I, I enjoyed trying to fix things and trying to help people get back to their, their function and to their daily activities and stuff with their family and back to work. And so orthopedics uh, just was the right fit for me to be able to, to work on stuff and get people back to what they need to do. Fabulous, and you actually specialize in backs. That's most of what you do, so. It is, it's 99% uh, of what I do is uh, between neck surgery and back surgery. So this is going to be fantastic. Everybody, we've got a really good opportunity for you to truly ask an expert. So don't, don't be hesitant about those calls. And Chuck, how did you get into physical therapy? Well, uh, in physical therapy, it's very exercise-based. I love to exercise. I want to help people. And it just was a good fit where I could help a person achieve their goals, getting back to work, getting back to sports. And uh, it was just a good fit for me. And it's just great to have the team, you know, primary care specialist, therapist. It's a great team. Everybody should have one behind them. So. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We look forward to answering your questions about back pain, causes, and treatments. Call us at 1-888-376-625. Send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. Each night, we work to answer as many of your questions as possible given the time we have for the episode. We do sometimes receive more questions than we can cover in that time limit. We apologize if we do not get to your question, but we encourage you to ask early to give us the best chance to answer it. And to encourage your questions earlier, those of you who ask a question during the first 20 minutes of tonight's program will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Dot gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of the program. Your question will remain anonymous, 
but be sure to provide your name and contact information when you submit your questions so we can contact the winner. Let's get started with some questions here, guys, and my computer thing is dead again. <laughs> this always happens, everybody. So um, let's talk a little bit about prevention because, you know, as a primary care person, I am just always about prevention. So Chuck, what's your biggest tip to prevent back pain? Keep moving. The worst thing, the human body is made to move. We are made to move and exercise and Yes, things change maybe when you're 30 versus when you're 80. Mm -hmm. And so you might do different exercises, but it is crucial that you make exercise a part of your life. Maybe you're going to be doing more stretching when you're a little older, and maybe you like to do a little more strengthening, strengthening in the weight room when you're younger, but having a good balance program to continue to exercise and build that strength and flexibility is a great start. Next, I believe posture is very important. Your mom was right. Sit up tall. Remember these things. The human body functions better when it's upright versus, for example, if you're a, a vulture, your head's forward. I'm looking at my computer. I can't see this. Well, this head is holding up here and your muscles in your neck are working so hard as you're at that computer. Next thing you know, it's three hours later. Our body isn't made to function like this. So we need to be aware of posture and position. And sometimes that just means taking a break from your screen time, moving around and going from there. How about you, Matt? I completely yeah. agree, uh, and, and my nurses hear me say this to almost every patient that comes into the clinic. Uh, the old adage, move it or lose it. Mm -hmm. I completely agree that, that that motion is one of the best medications we could pr potentially prescribe to a patient. Keep moving, take walks. If they can't walk, ride a bike, get on the elliptical, do the new step. Uh, and that's important for almost all aspects of health, but specifically when you're talking about neck and back stuff, it's extremely important to keep active and keep moving. Maintain your flexibility, maintain your strength, uh, but, but at the end of the day, it's all about movement. I completely agree. Dr. Holm had two, two quotes that I always think of. Motion is lotion, motion, yeah. and um, it, exercise is the fountain of youth. Those were his statements, and I think that's really, really true. Completely. And I'm going to put in a little plug for one of my favorite prevention topics, and that's calcium calcium and vitamin D. Now that's something that you're not going to see so much as a relatively young individual, but as people get older and that osteoporosis starts kicking in, you start seeing those compression fractures. That's where you start seeing those little old people, particularly those little old ladies who really can't straighten up. I mean, their head is just stuck in that position because their back won't, won't support it. So stay active and drink your milk. <laughs> yeah, vitamin D, calcium, I have that discussion with my patients all the time. I'm not infrequently seeing patients with compression fractures, but bone health is a huge part of overall health. Yep. We know how important it is uh, uh, considering patients that have hip fractures or compression fractures in their spine in their, in their 60s, 70s and beyond have a and, much lower life expectancy. Yeah. And by that time it's really, you've kind of missed the boat Absolutely. with your calcium and, yeah. and your vitamin D. It's really something that I like to nag on for those teenagers and those young adults because that's when it's really going to matter the, the most. It's going to make the biggest difference in their life overall. Yep. So, excellent. Well, now we've we've got our our little thing here fixed, so we can get to some viewer questions. So, uh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. Could lower back pain be a symptom of prostate problems? And what other symptoms would be present if so? 
<clears throat> Gentlemen, either of you? <laughs> yeah, so I, I, certainly it could be. Um, the prostate gland is deep in the pelvis, um, which can cause pain if you're having issues with your prostate, either more anteriorly in the front of the pelvis or hips, or even in the back of the pelvis towards the lower back. Um, one thing to think about too in patients that potentially have prostate issues or even prostate cancer is sometimes if that's present that can spread to the bone so that's mm -hmm. something to consider as well. Um, probably not the most common thing that I see as a presenting symptom of, of back pain is a, a, a prostate issue but it certainly it could at some level be involved. And I think that's something that often doesn't end up in your office because it gets detected in my office. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. um, certainly sometimes prostate infections, prostatitis can cause back pain. Uh, usually there'll be maybe fever or chills, but often mm -hmm. urinary irritative symptoms. So right. urgency, frequency, got to get there right now, difficulty getting things started. It's probably something some of your pelvic health patients have, Chuck. So, Yes. Um, the uh, I, we have a therapist, and her profession, her focus is pelvic health, and uh, this is right up her alley uh, on some of these things. And I do know there's an episode. There is up. an episode in a couple of, a couple of weeks. There'll be an episode mostly focused on the female pelvis and the problems that women have. But this is the kind of thing that they do then too. So and back pain will probably come up. I'm, I'm sure. sure it will. So. I'm sure it will. Uh, here's a question about explaining a herniated disc, Dr. Wingate. Yeah. So herniated discs are, so, so essentially the disc itself is a space that's in between the two vertebral bodies or two bones in the back. It acts as a cushion or what I tell my patients a shock absorber. There are two parts of the disc essentially. There's an outer layer that's a thick cartilage layer that's we call the annulus. And there's an inner part of the disc that we call the nucleus which is kind of the more jelly-like material. When uh, there's an injury to the outer layer of the disc, the annulus, there can be an opening to that area and some of that jelly, the nucleus, can then escape its normal position and herniate. And if that disc herniates into an area near the nerves in the back, it can create patients, uh, can create issues with back pain or what we call lumbar radiculopathy, which is essentially a sciatica or a pain that can shoot down the leg. So essentially a herniated disc is a, a part of the disc in a location that it shouldn't be. It's escaped its normal confines of the disc. So what can we do about a herniated disc? Yeah, so the, the, the general discussion that I have with my patients about disc herniations, whether it's coming from the neck or th from the low back, is that the research shows us that 80 to 90% of patients with acute disc herniations will get better without surgical intervention. So basically the, the treatment approach that I take is movement, uh, physical therapy, usually an anti-inflammatory or, or a mild pain reliever, um, and occasionally if patients don't improve over the course of four to six weeks of a anti-inflammatory with physical therapy, then occasionally they can be a candidate for an injection. But most of those patients will, over time, two to three months, will get better without having to have surgery. What kinds of things do you do for them in therapy, Chuck? Well, uh, this is a very common diagnosis we see every single day in our clinic. Yeah. And it's very important, we start with a good thorough assessment. and. When it comes down to it, we spend quite a bit of time working on core muscles, and it's not just the abdominal muscles. We need to understand that you know, hip strength and hip control is very important. Um, it's a, we're, we're not just one muscle, we are a chain. When a person walks, if their hamstrings are extremely tight or their hip flexors are really tight, that's gonna influence the spine, so the person will probably also have some lower body flexibility and strengthening activities. 
And in conjunction with the core strengthening and the lower body work, we're going to spend some time in educating them. Maybe find out, maybe they're having a bad habit at their work or activity. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an athlete, a tennis player that's always working one direction. Maybe we need to talk a little bit about education and try to how, how they're functioning and maybe find a better way to do their activity. And of course, I always mention posture. That's my <laughs> thing, so. <laughs> I always like to tell patients, remember that old children's rhyme, the knee bone's connected mm -hmm. to the hip bone. Everything's connected. Yes, so your, where your pain yes. is may not be where it actually is right. originating, and that's it's a, important It's a very good point. So often do we see patients that come in and are having calf pain or thigh pain or hip pain, especially hip mm -hmm. pain, and it's not coming from their hip, but mm -hmm. it's coming from their back. And so, but everything at some level is connected and, and that's part of what we do is trying to figure that whole process out and where the pain is coming from. Yeah, We'll often do, like, maybe the, the patient will see Dr. Wingate and we have a lumbar problem and, you know, we'll be working with them, but as we do our assessment, we kind of have them working on their, you know, shoulder blade muscles to help those other muscles there, even though that problem's way down in the, you know, by their belt line and here's Chuck working on strengthening exercises for their posture and other things, it's like, what? No, it's all part of that song you just sang yep, for us. Absolutely. You know, it's all well, for, fortunately, I didn't sing it, or the audience would have altered the the, <laughs> the show off because it would have been traumatic for them. But but yes, it is it is just a really important thing. Is it really important to know exactly what's going on in a back to fix it or to help it get better? It is. Uh, the, it's it's a it's a gathering of information, right? So the patient comes in, has a complaint. Let's say they. They were um, playing with their kids this past weekend and they had an injury to their back and they woke up the next day and they had the shooting pain down their legs. So it's a, it's a combination of the history we call it in medicine, taking their story, listening to their mm -hmm. story. The physical exam then of course adds to that uh, um, information gathering. Do they have signs of weakness or numbness or tingling or do they have nerve tension signs? And, and then we use our diagnostic tools like x-rays and MRIs to help us with that. But it is important that we know where that's originating from so then we can tailor the treatment for that specific problem. It's crucial. I think it's really important because um, knowing the diagnosis, sometimes there are certain exercises that are completely contraindicated for certain diagnoses. So knowing that whole picture, working with the team and the physicians and you know, putting that, getting that right exercise prescription for that patient is Really important. Really important. Um, so we have a lot of questions here in queue. So good job, everybody, for calling in questions here. We have an 87-year-old person from Wessington Springs who has osteoporosis and is wondering if there's any chance of recovery. Dr. Wingate. Yeah, so there, there are uh, different ways to evaluate and treat osteoporosis. Most of the time, by the time they're coming to see me as an orthopedic surgeon, they've usually had a fracture, right? So a broken hip. Uh, a compression fracture or a broken uh, bone in their back. Um, generally, my approach is if they haven't had a DEXA scan, which a DEXA scan is a, a test that is performed to evaluate the density of the bones, that's where I start. Uh, I also, I'm a fan of, of evaluating vitamin D and optimizing vitamin D, so I'll get a vitamin D level as well. And then it's just a, it's a discussion with the patient, of course, treating their acute pain and whatever needs to be done with a potential fracture, but then it's a lot of education about bone health. So it's about resistance training, it's about exercise and walking, it's about optimizing their calcium and their vitamin D levels if they're deficient. And that's, so can it be reversed? Maybe not necessarily be reversed, but can we do work to try to prevent it from getting worse? I think that's one of the main goals. Yeah. And we certainly have different medications that right. as primary care doctors particularly, we, 
we use a lot. So there, there are different treatment options, uh, and I definitely encourage this person to go and talk with her healthcare team. So, after many years of dealing with chronic back pain, Ruth Anderson made the difficult choice to undergo surgery. Prairie Doc reporter Esther Michael tells us her success story. I had osteoporosis, just lots of things. And so he, you know, we had a really good visit and uh, he said, now you understand. This is a long surgery. It's a difficult surgery. And when you get done with it, you're not going to be able to do hardly anything. But of course, therapy is going to get you going again. You get to make the decision if you want the surgery or not. And I said, well, of course I do. He said, if you don't, I will tell you this. Within two years, you'll be in a wheelchair and you'll never get out again. That it will be what you'll have to deal with. Anderson was a very active individual prior to her back surgery. She even participated in running races with her friends and family, but had to stop due to the invasive pain she began to experience. What you need to do before you come for surgery is you need to make a spot in the nursing home that you would like when you get out of the hospital and uh, so that they are ready for you because that's where you'll need to be first. I started out not able to walk and so they took me by wheelchair to the therapy room and uh, eventually one day I got to walk with the walker which was exciting. I know that sounds kind of crazy but those days were very important days. And sometimes they, uh, Leroy remembered that one of them said when I was sitting in the room, today you're going to walk to the bathroom. And I said, oh, I don't think so. I can't walk yet. Oh, yes, you're going to. And that's how they kind of approach things, you know. But they were all just excellent. Uh, I can remember the occupational therapist took me to a dishwasher and I had to unload the dishwasher. I mean, just things that we knew that eventually I was going to need to do. During Anderson's time in rehab, she transitioned from a wheelchair to a walker in just two weeks. After completing rehab, she continued to work out in her basement gym to stay active. And I did exercising. I had a personal trainer for two years before I had the surgery. At that time I started it, I didn't know for sure I was going to have surgery, but anyway, that they just made sure that I was, when I was exercising, that I was doing it the right way without hurting anything. But he said, if you hadn't have done that, you probably would have gone down along before that. So that was true. I kept things moving and that was better for me. When somebody advises that you need it, you probably need to do it. I mean, I know I could have said no, but I'd be in a wheelchair today and not be able to do hardly anything by myself. Don't refuse therapy because that's what picks you up and gets you out of the surgery so that you can do what you've always done. What an inspirational story that is. What a great, great outcome for her and a lot of hard work. That's a really important point that the patient's got to put in the hard work. You guys do your hard work, they got to do theirs too. So, Here's a related question, a viewer who is wondering if having a lower back surgery could cause osteoporosis to develop. Matt. No, that would not cause you to develop osteoporosis. Uh, the back surgery itself wouldn't lead to that loss of bone mineral density 
Um, there can be issues with patients that can have uh, complications from surgery if they do have osteoporosis going in, but it wouldn't cause osteoporosis. osteoporosis. Yep. Uh, we have a Rapid City caller who's had chronic lower back pain for decades, has osteoarthritis, and has had one back surgery. And she's wondering whether we can distinguish between pain from a structural spine issue and uh, the central processing, the way the brain sometimes gets stuck and sensitized to that pain message. Um, what do you have yeah, to say a, about that? It's a good that? question. I spend a lot of my time in the clinic trying to sometimes elucidate where the pain is coming from. In the low back, there are many things that can cause pain. The most common thing we see, of course, is going to be muscular pain, strains, sprains, types of things. Um, more chronic pain, then I start thinking about if it's localized to the back, then I think about arthritis, right? Wear and tear of the discs, wear and tear of the facet joints. Um, and, and the facet joints are kind of the little knuckles that articulate yeah. between the bones of the spine. Thanks for clarifying, absolutely. So it's the space, it's the area behind where the disc is that helps link the two, the two bones together or the multiple bones near back together. But it, is, it can sometimes be a, uh, a daunting task to really localize where that pain is coming from. So we try different injections. We use our imaging CT scans, MRIs, x-rays, and, and the patient's story and exam, of course, and we try to figure out where that is coming from. And I think that's an important point. You have to match the story to the MRI, yeah. to, the, to what you're seeing on the imaging, because you can see lots of things on the imaging that may have nothing to do with what's that going on with the That is a very good point. I spend so much of my time educating that with my patients or discussing that with my patients that we have to make sense of what's going on. So your story has to fit the MRI or the MRI has to fit the story. We don't treat MRIs, right? We treat the patients and what's going on with them. And if it makes sense with what we see in the MRI, then we know what we're dealing with and we can help them out. Yeah. yeah. So MRIs are not the, it's not the Star Trek tricorder that That's right. <laughs> tells us what's going on. That's right. So It can't see pain. <laughs> so, and this is a related question. A caller from Yankton wondering how you evaluate if chronic back pain is muscular, nervous, or structural. So from the muscle, the nerve, or the bone. Well, certainly uh, muscular problems are going to, you know, when you activate the muscle, it's going to hurt. We obviously first just listen to the patient. You can hear the, the story, there, how maybe there's a mechanism of injury that all adds into the evaluation of that type of scenario. You listen for, uh, maybe they're describing symptoms down their leg. Usually muscular problems don't cause tingling in your, in your feet. So as you listen to the story, you're able to you know, pull all the information together. There can be so many things that cause back pain that it's important to really listen to the whole story and uh, you know, not just one little aspect of it, and then piece it together from there with diagnostic tests that may be needed. Yeah. And I think it takes, it takes a lot of experience, it takes a lot of skill, it takes a lot of patience to tease that out, and sometimes it takes a lot of trial and error. It does, yeah. absolutely, with different types of treatments, possibly yeah. medications, but it can take trial and error, yeah. yeah. Yep, so it's not as straightforward as we'd like it to, right. to seem. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's not a one-size-fits-all treatment for back pain. So uh, here we have a woman with early stage neuropathy wondering if there are any physical therapy exercises <laughs> that she could do to relieve the pain in her back and improve her symptoms. Well, when we have a situation like this, we work with the patient to find the right type of activities and exercise to uh, work on that core strength, 
work on the lower body flexibility and mobility. And there are ways to strengthen without causing irritation of the neuropathy that we want to try to help this person with. So yes, there's ways that a person can exercise to help them get stronger. Now, certainly there can be multiple reasons for neuropathy, ranging from you know, diabetes. diabetes and you know, all the way through there. So obviously identifying where the neuropathy is coming from will help tailor some of the treatment aspect of it. And what the neuropathy affects because neuropathy yeah. in your feet is different from nerve pain. You know, neuropathy that comes from diabetes that is, originates in the feet but the nerves more upstream are okay is different from neuropathy that starts in the back. So that's another individualized answer. So. Uh, here is a gentleman who says he has a pinched nerve in his neck and lower back, but he's feeling the pain in the middle of his back. Why would that be, Dr. Wingate? Yeah, so, so we talk about kind of two, two different pain patterns, right? So you have re referred pain patterns where there can be a problem with a, a disc or a muscle or a joint in the neck that can cause pain into the shoulder blades or maybe to the middle part of the back. And then you have more of a pinched nerve pain which typically is a nerve pain that will tra travel down an extremity, down your arm or down your leg. Sounds like in this instance, now occasionally you can have a pinched nerve in your neck that can cause pain around your shoulder blades. That is not uncommon. But maybe what we're dealing with here is a scenario where there's referred pain from irritation in the neck that's kind of settling into the area of the mid-back, possibly, of course. And it could be some of that you know, knee bone connected to the hip bone, right. where you're trying to compensate for weak muscles with other muscles, yeah. and then those muscles other muscles splinting. wear out. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to yeah. protect it. The yeah. body knows something's not right here, but all those muscles in that middle back are trying to trying to protect that person and actually even creating some problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we have a viewer in Webster who wants to know how important good shoes are. This individual noticed that when his heel support wears out on his work shoes he begins to experience back pain. Matt. Yeah, so I get that question not infrequently. I get the question about shoe wear. I also get questions about beds and how I should sleep. But yeah, shoe wear can definitely affect, um, um, not to go back to the original comparison, but everything is at some level connected, right? Mm -hmm. So if there are issues with our feet, can there become issues with the knees or the hips or the back on up? Absolutely. So I, that that is not so much my specialty, but but at some level visiting with your podiatrist or your foot and ankle surgeon or your primary care doc to figure out you know, what's the best shoe for me and what's the best orthotic for me uh, can, can definitely be beneficial to the back. Or your physical therapist. Yeah, and it Absolutely. should be noted that uh, sometimes shoes wear out before they look worn out. Mm -hmm. And so if, if a person has a job, let's say they work in a factory and they stand 12 hours a day, maybe that shoe doesn't look too wore out, but you know, after you know, a month or two, things can wear down quite a bit. So you need to be aware of those things. And, you know, foot health could be a whole nother show here for you. <laughs> um, and this could come in there as well. But, yeah, it's important to really look at what you're wearing and what activity you're doing, you know. Um, you may not, want to wear the, may not want to wear those dress shoes if you're, you know, standing in your job for 12 hours. If you can yeah. avoid it, have a good pair of supportive shoes. Mm -hmm. Life is too short for uncomfortable shoes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We have a viewer from Sioux Falls who's asking, I've been having burning pain in my thigh and they think it's a pinched nerve. They also struggle with back issues. What could they do to help fix this? Yeah, good question. So is it possible to have burning pain in your thigh that is coming from your back? Absolutely. If you have a pinched nerve in your back, depending on what level that pinched nerve is, it can radiate or cause pain that can go to the thighs. Generally in that scenario, if a patient has come in and they're having back pain with radiation to the thighs or burning pain in their thighs, 
if they've already been through at least some conservative or non-surgical therapy, then I further my evaluation with an MRI. Uh, MRIs are, are very in, uh, valuable in this situation to see if there is a pinched nerve or a disc herniation that's causing a nerve to be irritated that would go to the thigh. Um, so, but yes, that is possible. Um, and an MRI is the most beneficial or the most helpful tool to evaluate that. Assuming the pattern is appropriate, because Correct. there is a condition called maris. Thank you, parasthetica. Yep. Yes, where it's actually a pinch at the groin of a peripheral nerve, and that causes pain in a particular pattern. Um, the treatment for that is totally different. Yes, so, yep, neurological parasthetica with a superficial femoral nerve or superficial cutaneous femoral nerve that comes over the anterior lateral thigh can be irritated and also give you a burning sensation yep. to the front of the thigh. That's correct, absolutely. Yep. So it's it's one of those where you kind of got to look at, again, the big picture, yep. and um, that can that history can often tell you an awful lot. Yes. So. Uh, this caller is wondering why compression fractures could lead to a lower life expectancy. This is a great question. I'm glad this person called in with this. Yep. Dr. Wingate. Yeah, so, so compression fractures, we essentially low, we call them low energy uh, fragility fractures. They happen in, in older patients that have weak bones that may have a, a, a fall from standing or off the toilet or something like that can or create even a compression just fracture. A step. Or a bending over and gardening. Yes. Something. Something that is minimal as far as the force or trauma. Um, we know that then when they develop that fracture, and this can be the same for hip fractures, it's an overall gauge of their health. Bone health is integral for our rest of our whole body health. So we know that if their bones are weak, then that is a predictive factor that that, that there are other issues going on with their overall health that can lead to a lower, lower overall life expectancy. And that pain, that disability can reduce their activity level, their function, and it Correct. just gets to be a spiral. And we, we say a compression fracture, uh, it's basically a crunch fracture in one of those vertebral bones where sometimes it ends up um, looking like a wedge instead of a block, and that's why that person can end up kind of curved. So it is, uh, you can see it with trauma with younger people, mm -hmm. but it's usually a condition related to that osteoporosis. That is absolutely correct, yeah. yep. Uh, a Rapid City viewer has chronic back pain, and what do the docs think about Calmar pain therapy for treatment? I am not familiar with this. I am not familiar with that uh, uh, either. Calmar pain? Calmar, C-A-L-M-A-R-E. I do not know what that is. I don't either which means you really need to be aware because if none of the three of us have heard of it, it may not be something that has a lot of data to support it. Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't mean that there's not things out there we don't know about that could be very helpful, just means that mm, it, it's something you gotta check out very carefully. Yeah. A treatment to help eliminate chronic pain when everything had failed was a life changer for one young patient. Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt spoke with her and her doctor about spinal cord stimulation and how it is used. Dr. Tyler Tachek of Rapid City Medical Center says spinal cord stimulators were developed in the 1960s. They thought it would be a good idea to apply some electricity to the spinal cord to calm the nerve pain down that results from several different conditions. So typically patients who uh, would benefit from spinal cord stimulations are patients who have pain that's there 24 seven that is constant. Many of the patients include those who failed years of physical therapy and surgeries and are running out of treatment options. There are a few FDA 
uh, indications for spinal cord stimulation. Um, the number one that we'd use is typically failed back surgery syndrome, which means not that the back surgery didn't work, but that patients still have pain after back surgery. The number two indication is called complex regional pain syndrome. That's where patients have had a surgery or an injury to a specific nerve, and it creates an intense feeling called allodynia, where even light air blowing on the extremity causes extreme pain. The number three indication is for diabetic peripheral neuropathy. So that's diabetes type pain, where diabetes attacks the nerves, especially in the feet. And these patients have very severe nerve pain. They can't feel their uh, feet. And then the last indication is for back pain that has failed all other treatments. Tachek says he has used spinal cord stimulators for people of all ages, including 20-year-old Haley Nankaville. She had severe nerve pain in her right foot as a result of surgeries and sports injuries. This treatment has honestly been the best thing ever. I'd had the tens of different injections. I had gone to a rehabilitation three-week um, clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, where I was in the hospital for three weeks trying to do rehabilitation for it. And we were at the point where we were like, felt like there was nothing left. And now I'm back to the point where I'm able to go work out again and be as active as I want to. Nankaville says her pain was so bad, even a bed sheet touching her foot would hurt. The only burden now is having to charge the stimulator, which she says has become part of her daily routine. The fact that I could go back to living my life before I had the chronic pain and without worrying every day about, okay, what can I do and what can't I do is been a major, major life changer. Tachek used the term neuromapping to describe how this treatment in the spine may help pain anywhere in the body. You can literally trace a spinal nerve and how it goes out into the foot. So pain that is in the foot can be from a problem in the foot. It can be from a problem in the back. It can be from a problem in the spinal cord, and it can be a, from a problem in the brain. And that's our first step is to try to figure out where the pain is coming from. Oftentimes we can cut off the pain at the spinal cord level. So that's why we focus on spinal cord stimulation. Wow, two really inspirational stories there from two really tough ladies. So that's fantastic. I'm so glad that we've got a treatment for her that we wouldn't have had 10 years ago, so are not nearly as effective 10 years ago. Um, we've got a lot of questions here, so let's dive right back in. Um, Chuck, I'm going to direct this one to you. A caller is wondering what to do when your back is out, when you do something you know you probably shouldn't have done, like lifting something too heavy. Should you do ice or heat, rest or stretch? What should you do? Well, you should not just lay there. Bed rest is not what we want. Which is what we used to tell people we used a million to tell years them that. ago. So um, in these scenarios, when it's an acute pain like this, uh, I often believe uh, simple walking, if you can, and depending on the, the, the level of the discomfort, uh, some breathing and relaxation exercises, uh, some simple meditation can help relax those muscles to let things go. Now certainly if this person has had, if this is a reoccurrence of a of a, of a problem, they maybe already have some exercises or things that's been designed for them. Um, and that's usually my first uh, first aid of <laughs> dealing with these type of things right off the bat. So ice or heat, whatever makes you feel better and keeps you moving, that's my hope. 
Anything to add? I agree. I, I usually say for acute injuries, ice is better. More chronic stuff, I think heat is better, but it, it can go both ways, whatever works for that patient, and keep moving. I completely agree. You sit or you lay all day, you're going to be worse off. Now, is, if nobody's ever told you not to take ibuprofen, take a little ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> but there are reasons when I might tell you not to do that. So. <laughs> We have a caller who's asking they have neck and back pain and have been diagnosed with AFib. Any connection between them? Not a direct correlation that I would be aware of. Yeah, I don't think yeah. so either. Um, um, uh, this individual says their husband has back pain. It starts in the mid-back but wraps around to the rib cage. Thoughts? So that could be indicative of a pinched nerve that can occur in the middle part of the back that we call the thoracic spine. At each level in our thoracic spine, there is a nerve that exits just like there is in the cervical and lumbar, but the, the nerves in the thoracic spine run right around our ribs. So if there's a pinched nerve that's coming from that thoracic spine, it can wrap around and cause rib pain. Or from the rib itself. Or from the rib itself. Or, or shingles. <laughs> you got it. Yep, shingles. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yep, which is usually something that doesn't get to you because you figure right. it out That's before right. that. That's right. <laughs> so get your shingle shot. Uh, this individual would like us to discuss rib and scapular muscles and the rib constriction on breathing issues, which is all part of that, um, you know, yeah. knee bone connected to yes. the thigh bone thing. The ribs as they attach into the thoracic spine, you can think of it in, in two, two planes of movement, like uh, like a bucket handle when you breathe in, but also there's almost like a pump action from the back part to the front, so you have this combination of movement. And uh, as that all works together, you know, when we, we breathe in, that's the, you know, the active part. When we breathe out, we relax, and the muscles you know, relax. That's, what, that's the more the passive part. And so as that relates together, that's why it's very important we talk about breathe when you exercise. You know, don't hold your breath. When you're doing this, you want it to be that natural kind of movement and natural kind of breathing. Those muscles are part of our core. And if you look at it, there's big, long muscles that run along the spine. There's muscles in between those ribs that are in charge of that movement. And think about our pectoral muscles in the front. They are attached in that area as well. And so we would be wanting that person to work on, maybe we got to work on the posture. Maybe we have them breathe with an exercise and not just raising their arm, but they're breathing as they're moving and trying to get that coordination of movement. Um, like an engine, we want that engine to move and and purr. We want that to purse. We want that to move. How is chronic back pain treated differently than acute pain? Dr. Yeah, Lundgren. so generally I, I, I talk about acute pain that's something that's short-lived, weeks, uh, not necessarily longer than that. Chronic back pain is something that's gone on months or years. Acute back pain is, is generally we use the, the kind of the old adage, the rice kind of therapy, right? Rest, mm -hmm. ice, uh, can't really elevate, but compression, uh, anti-inflammatory, if you're able to take that, uh, those types of things are probably the most beneficial. Um, more chronic stuff, then I think of more related to uh, joints, joint issues in the back or disc issues in the back or a chronic tendonitis, but things that are ongoing, not necessarily from an event or an injury per se. Yeah. So those are things, you know, again, that therapy, that activity, that motion is really fundamental. Um, but it may be something that the stimulator, like Dr. Tachek was discussing, or surgery, or uh, an intrathecal pump. There's all kinds of different um, things.
things that we might be able to offer that individual. Yep, absolutely. There's all sorts of different treatments for chronic back pain. I think it comes back to what's actually causing the issue, and then they can have a, you know, a specific plan for them. But yes, those are some certainly some options. Um, this caller asks, they recently had their ninth back surgery and they're struggling with pain in various areas of their low back. Spine is fused from L1 to S1 as well. How long will this pain keep persisting and are there any ways to permanently resolve these recurrent lower back issues? Yeah, this is a very difficult situation and unfortunately it's not that uncommon. Uh, when I see these patients that come in, um, I go through a whole process that I think about why are patients continue to have pain or chronic pain after back surgery, right? The most common thing or the first thing that I think about is, is that person completely healed. The fusion that was, that was um, performed by the surgeon was meant to get the bones to weld together or fuse together. And if there's not a solid fusion or complete healing, that can certainly be a source of pain or a cause of pain. And then the other things that I think about is there, are there issues that are going on above or below that fusion, right? So is there uh, arthritis that's developing or wear and tear above L1, T12 to L1? The other thing that I see not infrequently, especially with long fusions or bigger fusions in the low back, are the SI joints can be a problem. Mm -hmm. Because there's and those much are the joints more in the <clears throat> in the hip between the bottom of the spine and that flare of that hip hip bone. Right, the sacrum, which is the bottom of our spine, connects to our iliac bones, which are our hip bones, and and not that it's a very mobile joint, but the SI joint has been shown to be a, a factor in some low back pain cases, and so when the whole low back is fused, the 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 body uh, tries to make up that motion somewhere, right, and so those those SI joints and there have been studies showing this, that those SI joints become more mobile in patients that have had lumbar fusions. So sometimes that can be a cause, and so I use different tests and different exams to try to figure that out. So it, it's a very difficult problem. Right. Yeah. This, uh, this is a scenario um, where maybe like hydrotherapy or pool therapy would be stellar. If we can get a person into water, the buoyancy effect of water, maybe up to about chest muscle, we can get about 85% of the weight off that area creating an environment for that person to build some muscle around there. Obviously, they'll go through the process of like, what's going on there, why is it happening? If the physician's like, okay, we're clear, let's get working on this. In this scenario, building some muscle would be very important. Might be, might be the key Absolutely. for this person. Yep. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely something where they, they need to go talk to a specialist and get, some, get an out. individualized plan. Uh, we have a caller who is wondering what surgical options might be available for an underweight elderly woman with a bone spur in her back. Okay. Dr. Wingate. Yeah, so, so I, I talk a lot about bone spurs in my clinic. Mm -hmm. They can cause a lot of different issues in the back. What I try to tell my patients is the bone spur itself isn't painful. The bone spur itself is actually the result of the, arthritic, of the arthritic change or the arthritis that is occurring in the back. The, the issues that bone spurs can, can cause though is they can certainly cause pinching of the nerves. If there's a bone spur that's coming off of a joint and it's near that nerve that's exiting the spine, it can cause a sciatica-like pain. So it really kind of depends where that bone spur is, what it's potentially doing, but there are certainly different treatment options, uh, both therapy, uh, from a therapy perspective to injections to potentially surgery if that's, if that's, that's warranted. That's appropriate. Yep. So, okay, so we're down to our last minutes here and we've got five <laughs> questions. Let's okay. see what we can do, guys. <laughs> we have a caller from Mobridge who says, with chronic back pain, PT, chiropractic combination. Uh, it's not fair to ask you that, Chuck, so I'm going to ask you. 
all the above. I think I think there are there are definitely people that get benefit from both. Some people swear by the chiropractor and have good success with their chiropractor and some people not so much and would rather see a physical right. therapist but they both can be very valuable and they can both be complementary yeah, therapies they're they not can. they're not uh, they don't perfectly overlap what is spinal stenosis and what are treatment options spinal stenosis is when there's narrowing of the canal where the nerves are coming through the middle of the back so there's a tube that runs from the base of our skull all the way down to near our tailbone that carries the nerves that go to our arms and legs Stenosis just means narrowing or constriction of that tube. So there can be different causes from disc herniations to arthritis and bone spurs, and there can be different treatments based on patient's symptoms, what they've tried or haven't tried for treatment. Including therapy. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, this caller is wondering if Paget's disease of the bone is the same or comparable to osteoporosis. It is not. Paget's disease of the bone is a uh, metabolic issue or remodeling issue with the bone itself. And oftentimes patients with Paget's disease actually have hyperdense or more bone density, whereas osteoporosis is a lack or loss of bone density. Is that good bone? It's not. Yeah. It's, it's bone that's been kind of haphazardly laid down by the body that's not in its normal kind of function or form. So we've basically got a bricklayer who doesn't know what they're doing and is scattering bricks all over. It's a great analogy. That's a good analogy. Instead of stabbing that. That's right. All right, uh, Chuck, here's a caller who wants to know if one leg is longer than the other and is causing back pain, what can you do for this? Well, sometimes it's not a true leg length discrepancy. Sometimes it's a muscle imbalance. It could be a muscle imbalance at the hips and the actual femur and tibia, you know, they're, all the, they're both the same length. So one, is it a true leg length difference? If it isn't, sometimes muscle imbalance and exercise can address it. If it is a true leg, leg length difference, for example, maybe someone had a past tibia fracture or something in their youth, we'll use the, like a lift in the shoe or maybe if it's greater than a quarter inch, we might have to have an external lift applied to the shoe. And yeah, I mean, when you have these imbalances, it can cause shearing forces in the spine and lead towards back pain. But once again, we gotta find out why. Is it a true leg length difference? If it is, we know when to do the lift. If it isn't, we can get working on those imbalances. Dr. Wingate, how do we tell the difference between a true leg length discrepancy? Yeah, I completely agree that you need to know that. That, that data is very important because I'll often have patients come and say that I'm having a back pain or scoliosis from my legs not being the equal length. So usually how I start, you can, you, there are different physical exam tests you can do which are not perfect. If I really want to know, then I get a full length x-ray from their hip to their ankle and I actually measure the lengths of their legs. And that's the best, I think, the best tool to look at that. Yeah, that is definitely the hardest one to cheat on. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that's and the right. hardest, hardest one to be wrong on that's with right. that. So, uh, we have a caller who had surgery for stenosis 11 years ago, and now she's beginning to experience similar symptoms again. Is it possible for stenosis to recur? It absolutely is possible. Generally speaking, the stenosis won't recur at that same level where she had surgery before, but she certainly could develop stenosis below that level or above that level, similar to what she had in the beginning. So what does she need to do for this? Chuck, what, what suggestions would you give this lady? To address the stenosis? To address address her recurrent okay. symptoms. Well definitely we're going to start with a nice core strengthening program. Uh, we want to look at building muscle mass and flexibility in the lower body. I'm detecting so a theme. 
Yes, <laughs> so I, I believe that that would be one of the best ways to work towards that. I, I, I know that as our muscles can take the, you know, as we get older, we do lose muscle mass. Therefore, it's even more important. I'm 52 and I'm really noticing this. I've got to spend time building and keeping my strength. And that makes a huge difference in how I feel. And I think it'll help her. Matt, if that isn't helpful, if it comes to it, could she have surgery again? Yeah, absolutely. It would depend on, again, her story and her exam and then the imaging results. But if she had developed stenosis in a different level of her spine, she certainly could potentially benefit from a surgery to open up those nerves again. So should she just wait it out and see what happens, or what should she do now? I definitely would start with the non-surgical approach. I always try to do that if possible. So the exercises. One thing that patients struggle with with spinal stenosis is walking, because an upright posture can actually make that stenosis mm -hmm. worse. So find, finding alternative exercises, new steps, stationary bike, in the pool, other things that they can still stay active and fit, that's not as hard as walking. There's absolutely Excellent. ways we get that person to exercise. Yeah. I know we can find a get way. Get active. <laughs> the winner of our drawing tonight is David from Esteline. Thank you, David, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you soon. We'll be back after this. special guest tonight is the Prairie Doc himself, Dr. Rick Holm. We think that you will enjoy this conversation about his life, his medical career, his forthcoming book on aging, and the special health challenges he has faced in re recent months. Experts estimate that well over 80% of people will experience back pain at some point in their lives. Perhaps 10% of adults experience it at any given moment. Back pain is extremely common, and people with back pain can be extremely miserable. It may hurt to move, sit, stand, lay, even breathe. No wonder back pain accounts for so many visits to the doctor. When people with acute back pain come to see me, they often have a preconceived notion of what will happen. They anticipate I will talk with them, examine them, and many expect x-rays or an MRI. They are often surprised and sometimes worried when I stop short of ordering imaging. My first goal when I see someone with acute back pain is to rule out rare conditions that threaten life and limb. Could this be an infection, cancer, a fracture, severe and rapidly progressing compression of the nerves? These conditions could require imaging for diagnosis and urgent treatment. However, they are uncommon, and unless specific red flags are revealed during the patient history and exam, it is extremely unlikely a rare condition is responsible for the pain. Most acute back pain gets better in four to six weeks. Unwarranted imaging only increases medical costs and the likelihood of invasive treatment like surgery or injections, but it doesn't get people better any faster. For most people, the best approach for relieving back pain is to stay as active as you can, take an anti-inflammatory pain medicine if you don't have a reason to avoid them, use a heating pad, and perhaps have manipulation by a chiropractor, osteopathic doctor, or physical therapist. 
When imaging is used, it's important to realize that something seen on an x-ray or MRI might not actually be responsible for the back pain. Indeed, it has been found that as we age, it becomes more likely that, even with no back symptoms, we will have abnormalities on imaging. This is true in about 10% of people in their 30s. Among the very old, the likelihood approaches 100%. There is no one-size-fits-all solution to chronic back pain. It takes a knowledgeable clinician to tease out what might be causing the problem and which treatment might help. I urge caution if anyone tries to sell you a treatment without careful analysis of your individual situation. Your money might be better spent on a heating pad and a gym membership. our guests Matt and Chuck. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, until next time, stay healthy out there people. a group of diseases involving abnormal cell growth with the potential to invade and spread to other parts of the body. Cancer, facts over fear. Next time, On Call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. <laughs> so, Mom, isn't this the year, the 20th anniversary season of the Prairie Doc? That's right. That's amazing. I, I remember when you and Dad started this idea of producing science-based medical information free for the public. That's right. And thanks to years of donations from businesses, organizations, and individuals, Prairie Doc programs are available on South Dakota Public TV, mm -hmm. Facebook, YouTube, podcasts, and our essays are printed in over 150 newspapers across many states it's and amazing. region. 150 newspapers. 150. You know, I'm grateful to serve with you on the Healing Words Foundation board and try to work to build new generations of, of listeners and followers. Many volunteers give their heart and soul to this Prairie Doc mission so that we can continue Dad's legacy of truthful, tested, timely medical information. For 20, 20 seasons! <laughs> now, to help continue this important work, please follow the Prairie Doc and share our programs on all of your social media pages. To make a financial gift, please give directly to prairiedoc.org or mail to P.O. Box 752 Brookings, South Dakota. Thank, Thank you. you. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting.
Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Allergy and Asthma, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.